Thank you, Nick and uh, Anna, for that. I only gave them that reading yesterday, I think. So uh, they've just done a fabulous job of taking us through the narrative, if you like, of what led, like the night of leading up to Good Friday and what, t- what took place and, and how it was that Jesus was you know, taken to the cross on that day. And I think as Christians, uh, on Good Friday, it's just good to be able to stop and take time to readdress our hearts uh, with the story of God's love for us. A love that saw God in the person of Jesus uh, enter into, uh, into the human story, to encounter it as, as we do, all of its beauty and all of its brokenness, but not to become just another corrupted character in, uh, in that story, someone who would eventually, you know, abuse the beauty, someone who would eventually continue to perpetuate the brokenness continue to turn away from God, continue to turn against each other as we find that we are enslaved to generation after generation after generation. But rather, Jesus comes into the world to be the redemptive character, the one who would bring a great reversal to the human condition and experience, the one who heals and restores the story between God and humanity. Good Friday, as we have just heard it read to us, is the beginning of this climactic conclusion to this cosmic drama that sees us set free from the curse that has enslaved humanity generation after generation. Sees us set free from the intrusion of sin into the human heart that causes distance and defiance between us and God, that that, that causes fractured and dysfunctional and broken relationships between us and our families, between us and the people that we love. You know, on the 24th of April 2019, Lockie and I, with eager anticipation, made our way into the Hoyts Cinemas to, to, uh, for an event that was pretty much you know, 11 years in the making. And for Locke, that was a big deal because he was four when it started and uh, 15 as it came to its conclusion. We were there to watch the movie, the Marvel movie Endgame. The whole epic drama of the Marvel Universe moves towards this kind of climactic sort of moment. The movie sort of slows down and we go to Iron Man and he's all banged up, battered and barbecued from um, battling with Thanos. And he sort of lifts himself up uh, and sort of, sort of girds himself and he catches the attention of Doctor Strange who signals to him that there is only one way to save humanity and that's been laid into the plot earlier in the Marvel Universe. Only one scenario in which the death and the chaos that Thanos has brought into the universe can be reversed. And with that, Tony Stark, he, he takes on Thanos and he, and he grabs hold of Thanos. And with a sleight of hand, he exchanges the Infinity Stones from the Infinity Gauntlet that Thanos is wearing to the one that he had made for Iron Man. And, and then Thanos kind of throws Iron Man to the ground and he thinks he's won. And just as he thinks the moment's come where he's going to win... Nothing happens. And it cuts to Tony Stark. And then we hear these words. I am. And there's just a lovely little pause. Iron Man. And with that, Tony Stark sacrifices himself in order to save the cosmos. 
It just kind of oozes with sort of messianic overtones, this, this moment. We, we find that always put into our movies and our cinema, don't we? This was the only scenario, uh, the only way that the cosmos could be saved from the rule of this tyrant Thanos. And we all knew, everyone who went to that movie knew it was going to take something like this. That the only way for good to triumph over evil, the only way uh, for the reversal of death was for someone to sacrifice, for someone to die for others. We just knew it intuitively. We knew that there was no other way. We knew that all transformative love, all love that is actually effectual, that makes a difference, is sacrificial and substitutional. And the Marvel Universe has written that into their, into their narrative. And it's not just Marvel that knows this. Uh, that the, the best way to conclude an epic drama is with sacrificial love, is with substitutional sacrifice. Tim Keller notes that uh, J.K. Rowlands incorporates it into the Harry Potter series. When Harry Potter seeks answers to why Voldemort couldn't kill him, Dumbledore replies, Your mother died. To save you, a love so powerful as your mother's leaves its own mark. Not a scar, not a visible sign, but to have been loved so deeply will give you protection forever. Not too sure why I had to use that accent, but there it was. <laughs> we, <laughs> we know that the only way... I started and couldn't stop, but we know that the only way... To move the reader, to capture the reader's heart. J.K. Rollins knows this. Is through substitutionary, sacrificial love. That's, that's what grabs the reader. That's what captures their heart. It's, it's, it's in every narrative. It's the same with Anna as she gives her life for Elsa in Frozen. Yeah, right? Just for a little bit anyway. It's the same as when Harry Stamper, a.k.a. Bruce Willis, in Armageddon, substitutes his place with A.J., one of the greatest movies of all time. If you haven't seen it yet, you haven't been attending Freeway long enough. It's not just great because Aerosmith do the soundtrack. It's great because of that moment of sacrificial, substitutional love at the end where, where Bruce Willis literally changes places with AJ to save him, to save humanity. It's the act of sacrificial, substitutional love that moves us, that grabs us in, in all kinds of myths and movies makes logical grown men cry in cinemas because we know we long for it. As Keller points out in his book Reason for God, all real life-changing love is substitutionary and sacrificial. Occasionally we've been fortunate enough, uh, we may have experienced this to some degree in your own lives. We know that anyone who has done something that has made a real relational difference in our lives, it's, it's really transformed us, whether it's our parents, whether it's a friend, whether it's a spouse, they have sacrificed for us in some way. They've stepped into our environment and accepted a hardship on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to bear it ourselves. All life-changing love towards people with serious needs requires substitutional love and sacrifice. Where the weakness of the one in need flows toward the one who has the strength. And the strength of the one who has the strength flows toward the one in need. There is an exchange. There is a reversal of places. 
and it's costly. The cross of Good Friday is the great exchange, the great reversal, the great sacrificial cost. It's where Jesus steps into our story to bear the cost of our serious need. The cross is how, how God loved those who have chosen not to love him, but live in denial of him, live in defiance of him, what the Bible would call sin. And sin is not stealing cars, it's not robbing banks, it's not killing people, it's not poking your sister in the eye. They're the symptoms of sin. They're the actions that sin fosters, that sin nurtures, that, that, that sin allows, permits. Sin is simply not loving God. It's an attitude of the heart that says God is not good, God cannot be trusted. It's an attitude of the heart that, that sees us take everything beautiful that God gave us and use it poorly, use it selfishly. Sin has destroyed creation. Sin causes us to be in endless conflict with each other and has made us enemies with God, the one who we were created to love and the one we were created to enjoy, the one who gave us everything we need to pull this off. Sin is humanity telling God he is not good. There are better things than him in life. He's unnecessary and unwanted. Now, we would recoil if we heard a child talking to a parent like that. But this is creation. Us talking to our creator, taking the very things that he gave us to give us our existence and using them to tell him to go and get lost. You know, God created the world in an effortless instant, so to speak. He spoke and things came into being. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be earth and water and sky, and there was. Let there be plants, and there was. Let there be animals, and there was. When we were created, we, there was a little bit more relational detail uh, put into it, a little bit more joy and relationship between us and our creator, but there was no wrestle in that. It was a beautiful process. Such is the power and love of God. This beautiful process bursting forth. But there's one thing that God cannot do. He can't simply say, let there be forgiveness for those who have destroyed my creation, who ruined the relational joy. Just let, just let that happen. That is simply not how forgiveness works. And we all know that. We all know ourselves in our own lives that forgiveness requires that somebody must absorb the cost, whether it's you personally or the other person. Somebody has to pay either physically, emotionally or financially to restore what's been damaged, to begin the process of healing. The cross is how God brought forgiveness into the human story. The cross would be where God poured out all of his restoring justice against sin a place of punishment for the sin of the world. But in a radically different move, God did not put you and I up on that cross. He went to it himself. The cross is the place of the self-substitution, sacrificial love of God for us. 
The cross is where God exchanges places with you and I. It's the only scenario where we see sin dealt with that doesn't see us destroyed in the process. On the cross, it is God who takes the punishment for sin. It is God who is destroyed. It is God who is torn apart. It is God who is forsaken. It is God who is abandoned. That we might be put back together again. That we might be brought in. That we might be adopted. That we might be made family, friends, children of God through substitutional sacrifice. Good Friday is the ultimate story of substitutional sacrifice. Where an all-powerful God became the man of sorrows that that we sung about this morning. To transform our hearts through love. Love that really changes things and redeems things is always substitutional and sacrificial. And there has been no greater sacrificial love than the cross. The love of God in exchange for the sin of the world. And that is how God captures our hearts. That is how God makes us listen. You know, Jesus didn't come into the world, John tells us, to condemn the world. That's our condition already. And we know, we know, because we're constantly trying to uncondemn ourselves through our works, through our efforts, through whatever it is. But then Jesus comes along and says, no, I, I, I will do all of that. It's hard to imagine that God would uncondemn us of our guilt through taking that on himself. But that is the story of today. That is the story of Good Friday. Has it captured your heart? Has it warmed that heart with affection for God as, as you read through the narrative, as you, as you hear the description of it? Communion is a practice that Jesus gave us. He gave it to the church on the night that he was betrayed, just before his death, because Jesus knew that even if our hearts were captured by this great epic story of substitutional love, that it would be easy for it to be captured by other affections, that it would be easy for it to be moved from the center of our own story. So Jesus gives us this moment uh, of communion to bring this story back to the center of our lives. He gives it to us with this simple meal. It it was rich with historic symbolism. It takes on new meaning with the cross. The bread is there to remind us of the broken body of Jesus, the suffering that he endured on our behalf. And the wine and the juice are there to remind us of the cost of, of life being taken so that new life can be given. So this Good Friday, before we rush off, before the world rushes off to its entertainment, to the various things that we're going to do, let us pause with grateful hearts and give thanks for Jesus, the God who became a man of sorrows, the God who would come and substitute himself in our place that we might once again know the joy of being his friend, once again know the joy of being in relationship with him. So I want you to take some time now just to Uh, You've got your communion cups there. I can hear them peeling off. Just take the the little wafer that's on top. Eat it in your own time. I'll give you some time. Then we will drink together. And that symbolizes the unity uh, that we all share 
uh, in this moment of restitution that we have in Jesus. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for someone. But how extraordinary that the someone who would lay down their life is our God. Let's give thanks. I mean, God, we thank you for Good Friday. We thank you for the moment when you uh, brought us back into relationship with you. We thank you that you're a God who moves towards us with love and grace, that you don't ask us to clean ourselves up. You don't demand that we prove ourselves before you as if anything we could ever do would be enough to jump over that bar. And we are aware of that. And so it can bury us in shame and all kinds of things. But you're a God who comes and says, I'm going to take that bar away. I will be the one. Uh, to, to, to remove uh, the curse of sin, everything that keeps us separated, to, to reduce the distance, to, to bring us in. We read in the reading about how the curtain in the temple was torn apart, symbolizing that humanity and God are now back in relationship with each other for anyone who would come and take shelter under the cross. It is the one way, the only way, back into relationship with God. We give you thanks for that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.